0: Welcome to Cases and Controversies, a Supreme Court podcast by Bloomberg Law. I'm Jordan Rubin.
1: And I'm Kimberly Robinson.
0: So we were going to do a deep dive into the upcoming Second Amendment case this week, but our schedule changed a bit. We'll bring you that episode after the November sitting. Today, we're going to be talking about a big anniversary on the court, Justice Barrett's shadow speech, And some very late breaking news out of the court on the Texas abortion case. Kimberly, we literally just got news on the Texas case. We actually recorded this part of the show earlier this morning and our brilliant musings about what the court was going to do will be lost to history. But (laughs) while we're mourning the loss of that sweet, sweet content, fill us in on what just happened
1: yeah well um hold on to your grandmas everyone uh, because the court is going to hear the two challenges to Texas's abortion law known as sB8 uh, just a reminder for listeners this was the law that went into effect September 1st after the Supreme Court in a 5-4 decision refused to halt this law and so far on the ground that's meant that abortion providers in the state of Texas have turned away individuals who are seeking an abortion after six weeks um so both the Biden administration and the abortion providers asked the Supreme Court to step in again um, and they got in their briefing all this week and as you mentioned just this afternoon the Supreme Court said you know what let's just hear them uh, maybe I don't know but they are going to hear both of these
0: uh, cases
1: on November 1st November 1st 2021 <laughs> yes so um, the briefs are due next Wednesday and next Friday. So, you know, some attorneys better get working. And I think a kind of a measure of how important or unique this is. Um, I noted that Steve Vladek on Twitter said that the last time the Supreme Court uh, moved this quickly was in Bush versus Gore. So that's a Twitter hot take for you right there. But, Jordan, the court has also, before we kind of get into. Um, some of what the justices are going to be considering in these cases and maybe game out um, a few things that might have happened um, with all their votes. It's also interesting to know that the court, this is the second case that the court has expedited and put on its docket this year, right? We have that one, Ramirez versus Collier, that is also set to be argued November 1st. Remind us about that one really quickly.
0: Sure. So that one deals with this ongoing issue of the presence of spiritual advisors at executions. The death row prisoner in that case wanted to have his minister be in the room with him and pray out loud and Lay hands on the person as he's being executed, and what the court did in that case, which was very unusual procedurally anyway, was take it off of the shadow docket and put it onto the merits docket in this expedited fashion. And this was also a Texas case, I should say. So there are those two expedited cases, both of them coming off of the shadow docket onto the merits docket.
1: Well, one of well one of the Biden administration cases came off of the shadow docket. But the case that the court granted from the abortion providers was actually a cert petition. And that's important for some of these votes that we're going to talk about, maybe how this came about.
0: Right. And so in both cases, though, they're being expedited in this way. I would say, you know, they're both being expedited in a way that a majority of the court might find beneficial in the end. So we can maybe talk about that a little bit, both cases coming from Texas, both heading towards outcomes that I think we can see are pretty clear as far as what the Republican-appointed majority is going to do in both of those cases. But as far as the question that the court actually just took up in the Texas case, it's just the procedural question, right? It's not the merits of whether this Underlying law SB8 is constitutional.
1: That's right. And so, just to step back a little bit, um, remember that the reason that the justices didn't step in was they said that the procedural obstacles were just uh, too complex for them, and they had they needed the lower courts to step in here. Um, and really, the issue is that Texas uh, has you know structured the law so that it's not the government enforcing the law instead. Uh, The law deputizes citizens to sue people who they think have aided and embedded an abortion. And so the question for the justices here is, you know, who can people sue if they want to challenge this law? And really, can a state insulate its laws from judicial review by kind of doing these um, unique Setups. But that all comes, you know, kind of in the background of the Dobbs case, which the justices are going to hear during the December sitting, which does go to the merits of, you know, Roe versus Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey. So, Jordan, one thing I thought maybe we could game out a little bit is that the court didn't deny, but they delayed the Biden administration's request to actually pause the law while the justices consider this case and you know I think it's notable that it takes four justices to grant cert which again you know the abortion providers um, had this issue come up on a cert petition not on the shadow docket so they just needed four justices Uh, but it takes five to get a stay so you know if we look at the votes we think there were four justices in September to halt the law presumably they haven't changed their minds there was not a fifth vote there
0: right well in the past, anyway, there had been this practice of something called the Courtesy Fifth, right? Courtesy. Meaning, in a situation like this, a justice, even if they disagreed with what the four, the other four justices who wanted a stay ultimately wanted to do, they would have granted, voted to grant a stay to help preserve the status quo. But that was obviously... Lacking here.
1: Right. Yeah. So this issue of a courtesy fifth vote came up most notably in the transgender bathroom case. Um, Justice Breyer there um, provided a courtesy fifth vote to um, stop the ruling which had granted the transgender boy the right to use the boy's bathroom. Um The justices didn't actually end up hearing that case ever. Um, There were a whirlwind of changes in administration, and it just kind of ended up fizzling out. Um, But yeah, it is interesting to note that there was no courtesy fifth vote here.
0: And another thing to note, maybe in terms of the votes, is that because in the short term, the biggest news here is that the law stays in effect, right? But we only had Mm -hmm, Justice Sotomayor dissenting from the court's decision to allow that
1: oh come on Jordan Jordan we only had Justice Sotomayor noting her dissent right (laughs) I mean no you're right um she wrote a partial concurrence a partial dissent saying she thought that there was real harm being done here by the justices not halting the law but you're right she was alone and I don't really know why justices at least Justice Breyer and Kagan didn't join her dissent do you have any thoughts
0: other than to say it's consistent with my general observations where she's often in a handful of different types of cases like criminal cases been the only justice to dissent from say an order where maybe on the merits she might have had more people you know people talk about a liberal wing of the court right but that's i think that's only kind of relatively and there's the argument that justice sotomayor's kind of the most liberal or the only liberal member of the court in certain situations anyway. And this might be one of them. So that was my quick reaction anyway.
1: Yeah, but it kind of makes you think like, what? Why not join this dissent? I mean, if you presume like, again, presumably just Chief Justices Roberts, Breyer and Kagan all want the law to be halted. I don't know why they would have wanted it in September and not now. What are they getting by kind of holding back? Um, are they going to? Are they think they're going to shake out one of these justices and get them to vote on their side when they couldn't even get a courtesy fifth? I don't know.
0: Yeah, I'm generally not of the opinion that that's a real thing that happens. So I would say no. But I mean, I think the only thing we can read into this is the only thing that the justices are telling us, which is that Justice Sotomayor is the only one who holds this view, because if the other justices did and felt it important enough to tell us, they would just tell us, right?
1: Hmm, yeah, I don't know. I don't really take the same view. I think we can read a lot into this, and I think we're heading heading for a 5-4 to four ruling here on a procedural thing. I just don't know which 5-4 to four direction it's going to go. Oh, sure.
0: I mean, I think that that doesn't mean she's going to be the only one voting that way, but just in terms of sounding the alarm on the issue in the short term, she's the only one who feels passionately enough about it. To do that. Huh. So they're gonna hear the argument on an expedited basis, but we don't know necessarily anything about what that means in terms of when we're gonna have a decision, right? So this law is gonna remain in effect at least up until the day of the argument, right? But then from there we're still waiting on what the court does and we don't necessarily have a clear timetable for that, right?
1: That's true, although now the court has signaled, you know, a willingness to Act expeditiously in this case, and certainly if we're looking at Bush versus Gore or even some, you know, um, other cases where there's been a need for the justices to act quickly, you know, they can turn these around pretty quickly. I don't know if they'll turn around the next evening, but you know, we could see something in a couple of weeks, um, where they could just drag it out forever.
0: So, Kimberly, not totally unrelated from the abortion topic, but <laughs> we have a big anniversary on the court. Justice Thomas, 30 years, you have a story out today, marking the occasion. What do you get for the man who has everything? Um,
1: Right. So Justice Thomas is uh, marking three decades on the bench, kind of incredible, having been uh, taken a seat in 1991. And I think when we were talking to people kind of all across the ideological spectrum, we found that, you know, agree with Justice Thomas or not, it kind of seems like he's finally got the court that he's been waiting for all these decades. And, you know, what that means, I think we can guess pretty accurately, because Justice Thomas has been pretty consistent um, in his three decades on the court and telling us how he feels about certain things. And in particular, um, you know, it seems like it could lead to overturning some pretty big precedent. And we know Justice Thomas doesn't care about overturning precedent. I love um, several people when I was talking to them for this story recounted that Scalia quote. You remember this one about how Scalia said that he was a textualist and an originalist, but he wasn't a nut, uh, referring to Justice Thomas, who just wants to (laughs) um, overturn precedent if it goes against uh, first principles. Um, So, I mean, of course, that has implications for abortion. I think it has some pretty obvious implications for Uh, that gun case that we're going to be talking about in a couple of weeks. Um, But someone described what could be Thomas's crowning achievement as this affirmative action case that's kind of waiting in the wings. Um, We know that uh, Justice Thomas, who himself was a beneficiary of affirmative action, um, thinks that, well, I guess he wouldn't really call it a beneficiary. Um, But we'll have to wait and see. This one um, is, is waiting for the DOJ to weigh in on whether or not the justices should take it. Although, I suspect the the court will, will disregard what the DOJ says and take the case anyway.
0: Yeah, that was kind of a weird move, right? We're waiting to see if the court was going to take up the case. And they said instead we're going to ask for the views of the Justice Department, whose views are known and the court's views are known. Everyone's views are known. It's just a question of when are we actually going to hear this case. And sounds like maybe they didn't want to put another big thing on their plate right this second.
1: Yeah. You know, the other thing, too, is that um, this case comes out of Harvard, which is a private institution. Now, it does receive some federal funding, so it is subject to constitutional limitations. But there's also a case against a public university um, that's kind of trailing uh, in a different circuit. And it could be that the court wants to go ahead and wait.
0: Another thing, Kimberly, before we go, we just got some news from our friends over at Fix the Court. They learned that Remember the speech that Justice Barrett gave, I think it was last month, at the McConnell Center talking about how the court is not comprised of a bunch of partisan hacks, although the media wasn't allowed to record it, we only learned what happened there from a local reporter there, we learned that the reason it wasn't recorded or live streamed was actually at Justice Barrett's request.
1: Yeah, that's right. So they um, FOIAed some documents. And um, it does, you know, we do see this public university saying we really would like to make this available to, you know, by a live stream, given, you know, the circumstances that we're all in now. Um, And she did not allow that. And then, you know, I think one reason why this is interesting is that One of her criticisms of how people perceive the court and its kind of declining public reputation um, was she blamed the media for not being very nuanced in its coverage for, quote, Twitter hot takes. Um, I guess it's though it's hard to be nuanced when you're not there. Well, I think that's all the news that we have today. Next week, we will have our sneak peek episode.
0: Until next time, you can follow along with the latest at news.bloomberglaw.com.
2: My name is David Schultz, and I'm here to announce On the Merits, a new podcast from Bloomberg Law that brings you everything you need to know about the biggest legal stories of the week, coupled with smart interviews and analysis on a variety of topics, such as the incoming Biden administration's judicial priorities. So I think diversity is is kind of the watchword here. We'll also keep our eyes on the Supreme Court. Now everyone is on Briar watch. We're all watching to see when or if Justice Breyer is going to step down. You'll hear voices and perspectives from across the legal industry, including reporters and editors, attorneys, legal scholars, general counsel. But lest you think this podcast is all just news you can use, from time to time, we stumble on a court docket or legal opinion that, for whatever reason, just piques our interest.
1: And he started this opinion, 224ths of it, citing the Passchendaele battle. It's one of the largest battles of World War I. Um,
2: that seems like a strange way to start off an opinion on corporate law. You can download On the Merits wherever you get your podcasts.